What's up, everybody? It's Austin Rivers from the Minnesota Timberwolves. It's a new year, and I have a new podcast here at The Ringer, Off Guard, hosted by me and my guy, Pasha Hagigi. Austin and I go way back and talk so much hoop already that we figured it was time to fire up the mics and let you in on all of these conversations. Every week, Pasha and I will hit on the biggest stories happening in the league and get Austin's perspective of someone currently hooping in the NBA. Tap into Off Guard every Friday on The Ringer NBA Show feed on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. We're recording the first part of the pod about three o'clock in the middle of the one o'clock games here. The Patriots, of course, will record again after that with three-time Super Bowl champ James White. But we had breaking news today. And joining us now to break that down, Michael Pina from The Ringer, The Ringer NBA show, The Answer. Pina, I was telling you before he came on the pod, I'm so excited to be talking to you today because ordinarily we end up having like depressing (laughs) Sunday podcasts at least as I said, we're recording before the Patriots, so knock on wood, I won't be doing that later. But the point being is, we have huge news. The Celtics actually traded for Drew Holiday two days or what? Yeah, three days or four days, whatever it is. Sorry, I'm getting confused now. Where Damian Lillard goes to the Bucks, The Celtics get Drew Holiday. I'm fired up, man. I am so fired up for this move. This is exciting um, for the Celtics. Very exciting. So before, we were texting this week about it because I listened to your pod with Bill, which was great, earlier this week. And my feedback was essentially, like, you guys didn't mention the Clippers. Like, the Clippers are going to get him, obviously. He's from L.A. He, they have two unprotected firsts they can offer. They have Terrence Mann, who's way more intriguing than any player that the Celtics could put on the table or would be willing to put on the table. I was obviously dead wrong about this. I did not anticipate Boston... Um, look, I think that the the draft capital. So they gave up Brogdon, Rob Williams a third, and uh, the the Golden State top four protected first that they got in the Marcus Smart trade from Memphis, and a 2029 unprotected first. I thought the draft compensation was like fine. Like that's that's great. Like they're trying to win right now. Um, they still have flexibility, tradable assets with the first. They own all their first through 2029. It's amazing stuff for a team that's as good as they are. Yeah. Um, Rob is like the one piece. I was just like, I don't see them parting ways with him. He's such an integral part of their team. He's the reason that they led the league in defensive rebound rate last year. Two years ago, 
they were like plus 34 when he was on the court in the finals and like minus a million when he sat. Yeah. It's a really important player when healthy. Like, I'm still trying to process the fact that they included him. Um, but at the end of the day, like, as I said to you in the text, like, it sucks for the Celtics because if they get Holiday, they're going to win the title. And I, we're sitting here talking about this in, what is it, October 1st? So <laughs> a lot can happen between now and in uh, June. But uh, they should be the prohibitive favorites, like, no doubt about it in my mind. Yeah, right now FanDuel has them tied with the Bucks. They're both at plus 380 to win the championship. Both those teams in front of Denver, which I do find weird that Denver is not at the top just because they're in the West and it feels like Milwaukee and the Celtics are now on this collision course. So I figured that, and they have that Jokic guy in Denver too, that maybe Denver would have better odds. But I'll get to the Rob part first and then we'll get into the holiday piece that I'm so excited about. I'm with you. I didn't know if the Celtics would be willing to include Rob in the deal because he showed so much promise throughout his career. The thing that I would say, because you pointed out, the impact metrics are through the roof with this guy. Every time this guy's on the court, he has an incredible impact. I don't know why I keep saying this guy, but Robert Williams always has this huge impact (laughs) whenever he's on the floor, right? Here's the thing I would say. 32 games, 29 games, 52 games, 61 games, 35 games. And last year, one of the issues the Celtics team had was... And I'm making it sound like they were a bad team. They were second in the East. They made it to the conference finals, one game away from the NBA finals. But Rob got hurt, and then they never really got back to that two-big lineup, which totally changed their defense two years ago. Now, part of that is they wanted to lean more towards offense. But when I look at sort of that final piece, and there's reporting, too, that they'd like to extend Drew Holiday. The other day, I didn't realize at the time that Holiday had recently come out and said he does want to keep playing because remember originally he said like this is my last deal like he was going to retire early but he does want to keep playing I have to imagine he's going to be even more motivated now that he gets to go up against his former team that just gave up on him when he was the second best player on a championship team love all that but this is like sort of one of the pieces that can put you over the top and if you were going to move on from a guy like Robert Williams this is the type of player that I would do that deal for right like I don't think there's some other player, some big star player down the road that the Celtics are going to be able to trade for where it's like, oh, I wish we had that Robert Williams chip to trade. And I would have been fine going into the season with Robert Williams. But I think when you look at it now and you have a backcourt of Drew Holiday and Derek White on defense, it is going to be ridiculous. And this is I know you don't game plan for one team or one series, but now and Bill and I were talking about this the other day, you got 48 minutes in a potential playoff series where Dame Lillard has to deal with Derek White and Drew Holiday on when he's bringing the ball up, doing whatever he wants to do. And then on the other side of things, Damian Lillard, who has never been the greatest defender of the world, there's not going to be a lot of places to hide him in a potential series, right? Like, I think part of the issue that Milwaukee's now going to have, and their offense is going to be supercharged, but they don't have, essentially, their best perimeter defender. I mean, even last year, and we can get into this, but... Holiday got criticized for the Jimmy Butler stuff. It's like, okay, well, he's given up 25 pounds and three inches. The guy that should be covering him is Chris Middleton, but he's incapable of doing it. I just feel like for all those reasons, it makes so much sense for the Celtics. I know that I'm going on here. I started talking about Robert Williams and I flipped back to Drew Holiday because that's the part I'm most excited about. But to sort of circle back to that, that's why I'm excited. And that's why I'd give up Robert Williams is because this is the perfect two-way guard for the Celtics team. Yeah, I think that, you know, it obviously puts a lot of strain in the front court on Al Horford, 37 years old, 
who struggled a little bit in the playoffs last year after a really good regular season, didn't shoot the ball as well as he as he did. And then, you know, if you look at kind of the switch numbers, uh, he was excellent during the regular season. He was terrible during the playoffs. Um, gave up a lot of big shots at the end of games in switch situations when he probably shouldn't have even been on the court. And then also Chris Porzingis, whose health is this variable that you can't, you know, it's really hard to project and analyze this team if he's not healthy. So right now they say he's healthy and he's recovered yeah. from the plantar fasciitis that kept him out of the World Cup. And so that's all you can really go on. He was healthy last year for basically all of the season before they stopped trying to win games at the end and didn't need to play him. So... If those two are healthy, then you're not really worried too much about Rob Williams. And you are, uh, you're, I don't even want to call Boston small because, like, I think their starting five now is White, um, Holiday, Jalen, Tatum, uh, Chris Epps, Porzingis. Like, that's not small. <laughs> that's like pretty huge at every yeah. position. Um, so, like, I don't know. I, I, the, my, my last point about Rob is just like, I think that, you know, to go through the Bucks with Giannis, the Sixers with Embiid, they're a question mark right now, but they still have the MVP. Um, and then Jokic, as you mentioned earlier, like size is really, really important. So that was another reason why I was just a little like, I thought they would really, they seem to prioritize size and understand how important and how valuable it is right now in the league. So to give up a big who's in a in a way like who adds a dimension to your team that you now lo no longer have like he was a lob threat he was a tip out guy right. on offensive rebounds like he was he did a lot of really great things um, his pick and roll with Tatum was like the bread and butter that they won playoff games with last year so I mean I'm sure Tatum can figure out how, some really good pick and roll chemistry with uh, with KP. And it'll be fine, potentially, like pick and pops and KP. Maybe he's got a little more bounce to him than he's shown in the last couple of years. We'll see. But um, I still love now how you are five out basically all the time with size, with skill at all five positions. And like this team wants to win the title. So, so something that gets like a little... Um, muddy when people kind of talk about like the value of depth in the NBA it's like when you're in the playoffs these guys are like Drew Holiday is going to play 38 minutes Derek White's going to play 36 37 38 minutes Tatum plays like the whole game Jalen's going to play yeah. like the whole game so like depth is only like they've really in my opinion like bumped their ceiling up which is at the end of the day like that's why you make a trade like this you got a guy, you got the best player in the trade easily. He was an all-star last season. He averaged 27 and five or something like that. He shot basically 40% behind the three-point line in every year he was in Milwaukee. I have this really wonky stat for you because I'm writing about this trade right now, but Holiday generated 1.27 points per direct play as the ball handler in a closeout situation last year, which was seventh best out of 202 <laughs> players who did that at least 250 times. So like... He's like, I feel like the Celtics offense is just going to be drive, kick, layup, drive, kick, open three with just like obscene talent. Um, and I don't even need to talk about the defense because, as you said, like Holiday and White literally are, were both on the all defensive team last year. They're incredible, like pursuing ball handlers in the pick and roll. 
Um, the only player since Drew went to Milwaukee uh, who defended more pick and rolls defending a ball handler than Drew Holiday over the past three years was Mikael Bridges, who's never missed a game. Like, he is amazing <laughs> at it. So I I think, like, like just you're adding an all-star who's incredible, like an obvious flawless fit on both ends. And I just think like he takes a lot of pressure off of Jalen as a, you know, we talk all the time about Jalen needs to make plays with the ball in his hands. Like, okay, great. Jalen, go be an exclamation point. You're probably overpaid for that, but be an amazing all NBA caliber exclamation point and average 25 points a game efficiently. That's wonderful. Like Tatum, Improving as a playmaker, really valuable, of course. Like, he just doesn't need to do it necessarily anymore. And there's no, like, you want him to be as effective and and um, useful as he can be in pick-and-roll situations or operating out of an isolation or just reading the defense. And he can do that and he can grow still. But I just feel like when you have another option, particularly late in games when their crunch time offense has stalled out and you can throw the ball to Drew Holiday or you have Drew Holiday with the ball in his hands with five on the shot clock, it's like, I trust Drew with five on the shot clock to hit a tough shot. He's done it a million times. I trust him to make a huge play at the end of a playoff game. As Celtics fans have seen, he's capable of it. He was the guy who won Milwaukee the title in 2021. Like he was the literally the difference maker. They traded everything to get him. And last year he was the he wasn't an all-star in 2021. He wasn't an all-star in 2022. He was an all-star last year season. So I just think he has still has a ton left in the tank. He's awesome. Uh, great locker room guy. And yeah, like we can get to some of the questions about this team, but I just think like their ceiling is higher than anybody else in the league. And it's not particularly close to me. Yeah, I'm with you. And I look at holiday too. You mentioned Celtics fans know about the big plays he makes. Just go back to game five. He strips Marcus smart and then throws the ball off him. A game that Milwaukee should have never won. I mean, that should have never been a seven game series. And the only reason the bucks were in that series is because their defense was outstanding against the Celtics. Their offense really couldn't generate much. So, and Drew Holiday was really one of their best defenders. I mean, I know Giannis was the defensive player of the year. And then you just look at the value of them, right? Like if you just look at raw plus minus, the top three guys in the league were all nuggets. And two of them, of course, like Aaron Gordon and KCP are there because they play with this guy, Jokic. Four, five, and six in plus minus. Derek White plus 488. Drew Holiday plus 481 is five. Tatum is plus 470. And now all three of those guys are on your team. And the reason all those guys are there is because they're exceptional two-way players. Like, I almost feel like Tatum's defense sometimes can get underlooked. We're, what, less than a year and a half removed from watching Tatum. And this is true. This is factual. He destroyed Kevin Durant in a playoff series. And I'm not saying that means that if they met again, he would do the same thing. But he legitimately did for a four-game series completely destroy Kevin Durant as a one-on-one defender. He blocked him a bunch of times, which you never see Kevin Durant have his shot block, got into him physically as well. So I just think about all the versatility they now have on the defensive side of the floor, and it sucks that they don't have Rob, but I almost feel like in a weird way they can make up for some of that with what they have on the perimeter. And I'm interested to actually see Tatum in that role now, where at the beginning of last year at times, they were almost using Tatum as like the free safety, free safety. Not that he has the same impact as Rob as a shot blocker, but remember that like early on in the season, like we'd see Tatum roaming and he would be able to get blocks. And from a rebounding perspective, I think that's the guy that makes up for it. And I'm not saying obviously he's not the same level of rebounder as Rob in terms of the size that Rob has and where Rob is usually located on the court. But if you look at 
Besides non-bigs last year, Tatum was basically, from a statistical perspective, in terms of actual raw rebounds, he was the best rebounder in the league. He averaged the most rebounds per game of any non-big. So I think a lot of it goes on Tatum. And the other element to Holiday, you mentioned just like a great locker room guy. This is the type of player this team needed because I do feel like with Marcus Smart, there was a sense, and I love everything Smart did for the organization and all that. Like, I don't want to preface it before people say, oh, you hate Marcus Smart. No, I like Marcus Smart. But Smart was here before Tatum and Brown. And it felt like for a while, he felt like he was sort of on the same level as Tatum and Brown. Drew Holiday's coming in. He just played with Giannis Antetokounmpo, a two-time MVP. He knew he wasn't the best player on the team. This team he's coming to, where he has definitively one guy that's better than him and Jason Tatum. I mean, we could argue the rest of them. We're talking about Jalen and Derek White. I mean, like I said last time we talked, Derek White might be first-team All-NBA this season. I'm kidding on that. But you get the point. It's just like he's going to fit in seamlessly with this team. And he's been in so many big games. Like, I think that's underrated, too. Like, if you were going to say, who would you rather have this season— Smart, I know he's entering his 28-year-old season and Holiday's entering his 33-year-old season. But when you look at the backcourt, your backcourt is now Derek White and Drew Holiday compared to where it was last year, Marcus Smart and Derek White. And you had Brogdon coming off the bench. I actually think the two-way play of Drew Holiday, and I know you're losing Brogdon and Smart. I actually think your backcourt, even without Brogdon and Smart, both in the equation. And now you're freed up to play Derek White those minutes where he wasn't closing every game last year and the point guard numbers with him on the floor were in like the 99th percentile and he only played like south of 20 percent of his minutes at point guard when we're talking about Derek White I feel like this is a massive upgrade for the Celtics if you're talking about the backcourt absolutely and uh it simplifies things as you said in a lot of ways and I think like when I am trying to play devil's advocate looking at this team I wonder like so either Drew Holiday or Chris Porzingis are now the nominal fourth option in your offense. And like are who's like not going to be feeling that? Like who's not going to be feeling the fact that they're taking like I haven't taken a shot in like eight straight trips down the court. Like what's your guess? Who's your guess? Well, I think I mean just because he's a big, I think KP is just in a really tricky spot, and I'm really yeah. interested to see how he navigates that. Where like, hey, your value for this entire like quarter is just going to be you're spacing the floor, dude. Like you're setting screens and you're popping, and maybe you'll cut through the paint here because your man is like ball watching and will feed you or. But it's not like we're going to be running post-ups. It's not like we're going to be running like specific actions to get you looks at the basket. And we can do that, and we will do that throughout the season for sure. You're really talented. But I just think like someone's going to have to sacrifice. Um, like, you know, there's going to be sp- like if you play the Sixers in a playoff series, or you play the Bucks in a playoff series, which seems like it's definitely going to happen. At least one of those teams, like you probably have to play big like does that mean Derek White comes off the bench like I can't see them benching Drew Holiday it's just like that's stupid like they're not gonna do that but um sacrifice I think is really critical here and what's really funny or not funny but just like ironic is the guy who really bought in and sacrificed last year was Malcolm Brogdon and like (laughs) the the I don't mean to laugh but it is funny (laughs) no it's like in the Celtics you know it's a business etc but the Celtics like traded him we're trying to get rid of him immediately like in the first trade for kp and then eventually they got off him in this trade for drew holiday so 
I wonder just like you would think like I don't know it's just a it's a devil's advocate point that I have I think this is the most talented team by far I think they have a ton of options on both ends like just ridiculous top to bottom skill and length and everything you need to win the NBA championship today like absolutely and their best players are getting better too which you can't say about every team um that's a contender but I just think like I, I go back to like 2019 and I know that like there were other personalities on that team, but I always think about um, Terry Rogier. Like we're too talented. Like I, I that always plays in my head sometimes when um, when rosters are you got a little bit of an overlap here with ball handling and playmaking right. and scoring and all that and touches and minutes. So I'm just interested to see how it plays out. I think they will figure it out. I think having Charles Lee who was Drew Holiday's coach for all three years when he was in Milwaukee. They obviously have a relationship. You have Sam Cassell now. I think those two personalities will really matter and help to assuage some things. Um, yeah, I'm just playing devil's advocate here because I don't want this to just be a uh, queue up the duck boats uh, October 1st episode of your podcast. But uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely like an interesting thing to keep an eye on throughout the season. Yeah, and it's the Brogdon part of it is I do wonder like, I'm not saying that he obviously he was hurt by the situation when it's not like, hey, you were getting shopped. You were actually traded. Right. And I'm sure like eventually and I said it on the pod, eventually he'd get over it. He'd be professional because what else is he going to do? He's on a team that has aspirations and has a legitimate chance to win a championship. So I thought that would all be fine. But if I am going to nitpick with Brogdon last year, I thought he was actually better in the playoffs from an impact perspective by the numbers. He was like they actually missed him at the in that heat series when he was dealing with the oh, whatever absolutely. it was. Yeah, the risk situation. And I am sort of, I feel like they got pretty much everything they could have gotten out of Brogdon considering he came off the bench. He had to play less than 30 minutes per game because if they played him more than 30 minutes per game, I do wonder, like, would he actually have some of those lower body injuries? Like, this injury is different than the previous one. So I thought they actually handled Brogdon perfectly and I thought he took on the role well. But what I will say about Brogdon is if you look at his numbers last year, on-off differential via cleaning the glass, 26th percentile. His finishing at the rim was in the 27th percentile, 56.5%. And another real issue with Brogdon was the blinders, right? Assist per 100 with Brogdon on the court, 25.6 on would have ranked 10th, which isn't horrible, but with Brogdon off, 28.3, that would have ranked 3rd. The isolation defense, 1.11 points per possession, that was in the 18th percentile. And we've talked about it before, Pina, I felt like last year, he couldn't cover small guards anymore he did okay against like James Harden when he had to match up with James Harden at one point they put him on Anthony Davis remember that like in a in a regular season game and he's sturdy so he can handle that but I just feel like at maybe you know when you think about what was going on with Brogdon I wonder what the value was going to be like essentially his value if you were eventually going to trade him like in this thing he's basically a contract that you're trading away so I think this it probably was wise to move on from Malcolm Brogdon this offseason. And when Drew Holiday came, became the piece, you obviously do that. And the other thing I would just say about it from Brad Stevens' perspective, I give him a ton of credit because this is not like what he's done this offseason. These are not small changes. This takes like guts. This takes <laughs> you have to have a you have to have big balls to make these moves. You traded away Smart and Smart's a guy that's been here forever, was the defensive player of the year. We know a large portion of the fan base loves Marcus Smart. You bring in Kristaps Porzingis that doesn't have a ton of playoff experience, although we talked about it before when he was playing for Dallas. He was actually having a really good series before 
he got injured. So, and that's a different type of player, right? You're talking about a big man that, hey, maybe he does have an issue in terms of his touches at times. Now, I hope that's not the case just because, I mean, he opt- he obviously wants to be here because he opted into the contract so you could actually trade for him and extend it and extend him, right? Because they couldn't just get him if he was a free agent. So I think he's, my hope is, and I think he will buy into the program here. And then this move, giving up on basically with the exception of Jordan Walsh, who we haven't seen play in an NBA game, you didn't have a lot of, besides your draft picks, young assets that you could trade, right? So this is Robert Williams, a guy that you as an organization had a lot of hope for long-term. Now, I love Rob as a player. I said, obviously, the injury history concerns me. But this is bold, especially considering we heard one of the other teams that was in on this was Miami. Now, maybe Portland and Miami just didn't want to do business anymore, which this is a small side note that I love about this because... I fucking hate the Heat, and I'm so glad that they keep striking out on all these guys now. They're not getting them, especially after they beat the Celtics in the playoffs. That's awesome. Like, the Clippers thing, that would have not hurt me as much because it's not like Drew Holiday's coming to the East and you have to see him in a playoff series. But Holiday to the Heat, then it's like, okay, this is the Bucks, this is the Heat, and this is the Celtics. Now it feels like, who knows? Now, Pat Riley, I'll probably look like an idiot in a couple of months because they'll find some random guy that ends up being unbelievable for them. But I just think about... The whole Brad Stevens sort of, when he's taken over the front office, trades for Derek White, that has worked. The trade for Malcolm Brogdon, that worked last year. I mean, he's the sixth man of the year. That certainly worked. We think back to- Those are both no-brainer trades. No-brainer trades. Yeah. And and then you think back to the Al Horford one, right? Where you dump Kemba and you bring Al Horford back and everybody thought that's, oh, you're just taking on the money. It's like, no, Brad actually really likes Al Horford. Al Horford was unbelievable in Brad Stevens' system. You bring him back. And then this offseason- The fact that they didn't just look at it and say, you know what, if Tatum doesn't turn his ankle, we win that series. Or, hey, if Brogdon doesn't get hurt, we win that series. No, they said, hey, we have to upgrade. We need to make changes to this team. And I do think from both, I think the offensive upside is obviously higher with Porzingis and Holiday. And I think the defensive upside, maybe it's not like to the peak of what it was when Robert Williams, before he got the injury two years ago, maybe it's not to that level. But it's pretty damn close if you have Drew Holiday and Derek White in the backcourt and if Tatum keeps on this trajectory that he's been on as a defensive player. Also, if Porzingis is healthy, he's a he's a very good defender. Yeah. Like if you're if you're, for example, like I'm just, you know, spitballing a little bit, but like if you're like thinking um KP can basically be our Brooke Lopez, like watch Brooke Lopez footage and like we're gonna have you sliding up and down in the pick and roll but in drop coverage most of the time you're gonna be protecting the rim arms up don't foul all that sort of like i'm not saying he's as good as brooke lopez don't give me don't get twisted but i think like in that role he can be super effective um whether he's at the five or whether he's with another true big like al um the thing that like is really interesting to me about this trade and you touched on it with miami like there's value in I don't know I don't know how much this was in Brad's mind when he made the trade but it's like and just like the degree of aggression he had in pursuing Drew Holiday where it's like Drew could go to Philly Drew could go to Miami yep. Drew could go to the Clippers and we could play the Clippers in the finals like you're taking away this piece who's suddenly on the market the trade market who's available who's really impactful who can fit anywhere and help anyone so 
There was no shortage of teams. I didn't even say the Golden State Warriors. I'm frankly a little surprised. I don't know what they offered. I'm sure they were in on it. They should have been. He would have been perfect there, like ideal. So you're taking him away from any other team that you definitely would have probably, you, you not definitely, but you were likely to play Drew Holiday in the playoffs and match up against him. And you know how unfun that is. And your team, by the way, doesn't really have a point guard. So like that series would not have been enjoyable. Um, so I think that there's real value there. I don't know how much that played into it, but the two picks plus Rob, like they clearly really wanted, had a lot of value in in adding Drew and what he would bring to the team. And I just think taking him off the table for some of your rivals matters a little bit oh it's it's a great point and i say i hate the heat because th- these matchups are always so difficult so i didn't know like drew holiday would be the perfect guy to go to the heat and play with jimmy butler and play with bam just like a tough hard-nosed guy so that's a great point i didn't even think about that just like eliminating that side of it where you take away like hey yeah we we really like him do we want to give up rob but what if he goes to miami oh yeah let's actually make sure that we keep him here because or let's trade for him so we can get this thing done and he doesn't go to miami and when we get to a potential playoff series, we don't have to go through Miami with Drew Holiday and then the next series deal with the Bucks and Dame Little. Do you know what? Let's just bring Drew Holiday on our side. I actually love that part of it. I think it's going to be awesome too, just like the mentality he brings on that side of the floor to see like who's the best defender. Is it going to be him? Is it going to be Derek White? I think Tatum has really potential as like with his versatility to be the best defender on the team this year. Like I think that could be a competitive thing. Remember Tatum last year at one point, he was talking about Smart and saying that Smart's still the best defender on the team, but like Tatum like wants to, I don't want to say be acknowledged, but Tatum wants to be a great defender. Like it's it's clearly part of his ethos as a player. So I'm excited for that just to see if it brings out the best in all these guys. I will say though, in terms of the front court depth, and I've got a lot of back and forth like on social media already, like since this happened, saying like we have no depth, we have no front court stuff. We talking about the Celtics, not that I'm on the team, but you know, basically fans saying that hey, there's not a lot of depth. Well, this is what I say: like in an ideal situation, the only bigs playing for the Celtics in the playoffs are Al Horford and Porzingis. Now, I think they have to be really careful this year managing Al's minutes, and this would be the one thing that I'm concerned about now <laughs> that Rob's not part of the equation. Is now. I feel like you still got to do this thing where you don't play him on back-to-backs. I would actually rest him even more than you did last year. I just don't know if you have that luxury now, considering like you want to make sure that you don't overtax Porzingis as well. So I think Cornette now becomes a big factor on this team for the regular season where, and he was pretty good for like the majority of last season. Remember the whole Cornette contest thing was a thing for a while that we were talking about. And the other thing I would say is like, you can get certainly get by with that during the regular season and you're thin, but you'll take you're upside now with the roster rather than, hey, let's be a little bit deeper, but we don't have the upside. Now they certainly have the upside. And I also looked at like, I was looking back at the trading deadline last year, not to say any of these guys are like great players, but you could get a competent big at the deadline if you need him for the regular season, right? Like even the Celtics, now they didn't play Muscala much. I think they just like tired him out that one game. He played like the most minutes ever in his career against Milwaukee. Remember he played like 48 minutes or something and they, they gave up two <laughs> seconds for him. Remember that game though? It was crazy. It's like right before the um, All-Star break. Plumley and I'm not a big Plumley guy, but he went for a second rounder in Reggie Jackson. Wiseman's different because obviously he's a young player. But Thomas Bryan, I guess he was irrelevant to a second rounder. But my point with this is like, hey, if we get closer to the trading deadline and you need to get a big that you're just saying, hey, every... 
third game, can you give us 20 minutes? Like, I think you can get that on the market. The fear would be Porzingis's health record and Al Horford's age. Like, obviously, we know Al takes incredibly good care of his body. I mean, look at the guy. He's, he's in tremendous shape for his age. The question I just have is, can he... Can they make sure they don't play him too many minutes and too many games during the regular season now that they don't have that depth that they once had? Like, I did feel like they were set up with Porzingis and Robin. I know Rob has injury stuff, too, as we mentioned, but they were set up a little bit or set up a little bit better to give Al even more scheduled days off. And I'm not sure you can do that now. Or, hey, do we try Tatum at center minutes? (laughs) Honestly, this is where, like, you're in the, uh, the second apron now after this trade. Right, and you didn't sign uh, Grant Williams because you were petrified of going into the second apron. And like, I'm sorry, like I'm writing this in my column. I just think like losing Grant Williams, I don't think he's irreplaceable. I just think he's like super important and really good. He's like starting for the Dallas Mavericks. He's one of three players that Jason Kidd was like, these are our three starters, and I don't know what's happening elsewhere on my roster. Like Grant's really good. He seems to have fit in really well there. I wish him the best, but he's just like an awesome, like, you know, he's obviously undersized at the five and they didn't really do that a lot last year for a variety of reasons, but that would be an option now. And I think you could do it throughout games against most teams. And yeah, like I, you know, it's going to be, I mean, that's the question now. We started this conversation with, they lost Rob Williams and how do they reinforce the depth in the front court? Like, you know, they signed the dude who's a seven-footer to a two-way. What's his name? Like, uh, Namish Keita. I hope I didn't just totally bungle that, but he's a seven-footer. Um, you know, can you just plug and play a big at that at that spot for however many minutes a night um, and kind of live with that? I guess we'll see. Cornette, as you said, like, the Celtics love Luke Cornette. Um, really good in his role. People who don't think he's good, don't watch him play. Like, he's fine for what they ask of him. I know he's a yeah. little goofy, but, like, perfectly fine player, very efficient, like, nose drop coverage, keeps his hands up. He's a huge body, moves his feet pretty well. Like, he's fine. Everyone calm down. Um, definitely not the answer in a playoff series, but, like, I feel like they wouldn't win the title anyway if, even if they didn't do this trade, if Horford or KP were hurt. And couldn't play. Right. So it's like, I'm sure that that calculus entered their minds in the front office, but you got to give up really good stuff to get better stuff in the NBA. And I think that they can survive the front court thing in the regular season well enough. They're just so talented um, top to bottom. And, uh, you know, barring a a catastrophic injury to one of those guys, they should be okay. Um, I think, like, you know, gang rebounding. You mentioned Tatum, really good rebounder. Um, Drew Holiday, really good rebounding guard. Derek White, really good rebounding guard. They're so big. Like, everyone will be a little bit bigger than whoever they're up against. Um, Jalen's going to have to, like, crash the glass. Like, that's just, like, what it's going to be this season, yeah. I think. Um, but I think that they can, if they have that mentality, um, particularly when they're smaller, and they're switching everything, um, and it's just like see a body, hit a body. Like they should be fine, like because their offense is just going to be like a waterfall. Um, and so, like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I feel like it's an issue. Um, 
it'll be overcome in the playoffs, I think is the best way I would put it. Yeah, and as you said at the top of that, the the thing you have to do to get Drew Holiday is you have to take a risk like that, or else you're not getting Drew Holiday. You have to put Robert Williams in the deal, or the deal doesn't get done. And that's why you got this trade done as soon as you did, is because you were willing to actually put the Robert Williams piece in there. I don't know what Portland's plans are. I know they traded for Aiton as well. I mean, they could end up at some point trading Robert Williams and getting value back for They may really like him. I don't know. I don't know what Portland's thinking is, but they ended up with a really nice return for Damian Lillard after all the criticism that people were putting on Portland. I mean, they got a good return for Damian Lillard if you combine the deals, which you have to, right? Because they traded for Drew Holiday to trade Drew Holiday. And now that I think about it, the Tatum at center thing, I'm not saying like you do this very often, but if you look at all the wings they have, like they picked up Lamar Stevens from Cleveland. They picked up O'Shea Brissett, and I have a soft spot for him because he went to Syracuse, so I get a soft spot for him. And then Jordan Walsh, who's got a seven foot two wingspan. I do wonder, like some of these teams that don't actually play like a real big and you're not threatened by it. Do you ever see them like trotting out a lineup where it's like one guard and like or maybe two guards and three wings instead of having like a traditional center just to save some mileage? Or do you think they'll always keep Horford, Porzingis or Cornette in the court? Like I, I, I would get I would get really different with this team. I would try a lot of different shit. I know that's one of the things that. One of my critiques of Joe last year is he didn't try a lot of that, right? Like one of the lineups, Bill brought it up, the Brogdon, White, Tatum, Brown lineup. We didn't see that on the court a ton, right? Because usually Smart was in either over White or Brogdon. I would be really creative with this team during the regular season. Like I don't want Tatum in there banging with like the Jokic's of the world, although he's lifting like he wants to, but I, I, I would not want that. But I would try some crazy lineups and just get up and down the floor. One of my critiques with the Celtics last year, Pina, and the numbers bear it out, they really didn't run much, right? Like for a super athletic team, they were really efficient in transition, but they didn't run a lot. Yeah, I think, you know, Jordan Walsh, uh, Brissett, what are they like, six seven, six eight? Yeah. And I, I just think like also a majority of the teams in the NBA, like when their backup center is in the game, you know, okay, like we're fine. <laughs> like I just, Like if I have... If I'm staggering Drew, um, Jalen, and Tatum, and I have one of them at least on the court, and there's like the backup five on the other team, and I'm playing whoever at the like Cornet or Jordan Walsh, like I just feel like I can win those minutes. I should be able to win those minutes regardless. Um, but do you have any other like concerns, or how, how do you think this team matches up against the Bucks and like? Because what I, in my in my head when I think about this matchup, what I see is either Milwaukee having to downsize or not downsizing, whatever. But Dame and Giannis, I think, are just like this pick and roll combination that the whole league is going to have a really tricky time dealing with. And my fear is that Chris Porzingis gets played off the court. Like that's my mm. fear in a series like that where Dame's like Giannis is setting the screen two feet behind the three point line and you know, can KP stay up or is he going to get played off the court? Like, I just think that that's like a really interesting one. Um, they're really unique. Yeah. That's part of the thing. That's part of the reason I say Al, like you got to keep him fresh because basically what you had Stan Van Gundy on multiple occasions said Grant's like the best defender on Giannis in the world which I, I don't think that's like crazy to say he said a lot of crazy things on the broadcast Stan told me in an interview during that series that Grant was the best defender in the NBA so 
in the entire. He's like the fourth best defender. On, not even that. So that would have been the series they played him. So Tatum was a better defender at that point. Rob was a better defender at that point, even though he was banged up. Derek White, Marcus Smart. Did I say Al? Like, yeah, he was. He's like the sixth best defender on the team. But okay, yeah, that 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 is a crazy comment. But to your point that you mentioned earlier about. You're in the second apron now. That's where it's like, okay. And this is, believe me, this is not meant to be like a criticism of Celtics ownership because they're going into the second apron now, right? Like, but if that was, say, hypothetically, a guy that owns the team in LA and just is building this huge facility and he goes to Brad Stevens and says, hey, is it, is it going to hurt us losing this player? And Brad said, yeah. Like, he would have said, all right, fuck it. Like, just keep paying, right? So, and look, like I said, that's not meant to be a shot at Celtics ownership. Like, I understood why they wanted to get under the second apron at that point in time. But that Grant loss for that specific matchup is such a big loss for the team because he really was one of the guys that could just body him up. And that poor Zingas thing is a good point. I'm wondering, like, who are, do you think now, and I, I was kind of going back and forth in this the other day, and Tatum is now bigger, more mature as a player. I still think he's too small in terms of the size to take on the banging of Giannis, where Giannis is just trying to go through you like a wall. We all know he's so difficult to officiate. So I really don't think, and Jalen, or two years ago in that matchup, he really got abused. Like, remember at points they were just trying to find Jalen? They were trying to get Grant and Al off yeah. him to go at Jalen. So yeah, yeah. No. I don't think he can cover him. But on the flip side of that, Pino, on the other side of the court, I look at now that defense that Milwaukee has, and you know, they still have Giannis, they still have Brooke Lopez, but Lillard, the past three years on the court, I, I can do the past 14 years, with Dame on the court in Portland, 20th, this is via cleaning the glass, 20th percentile, 23rd percentile, 12th percentile, 18th percentile. And this is not like, and it is true, he was playing with bad defenders as well, but he's not a good defensive player. He's never really been a great defensive player, right? So they're going to have to hide him. And I think part of it is the Celtics are going to go after him, right? I mean, we saw... Everyone maybe, is. Everyone is. Yeah. yeah. And, and maybe we saw less of it last year, Pina, with just like the way that Denver plays. They don't really have to seek out mismatches, right? They're like, they just play like this beautiful brand of basketball. Even the Warriors, like in their heyday, they didn't really do it until they got Kevin Durant, right? Where they're like seeking out one-on-one -on -one isolation stuff. But I do think if you're the Celtics... You got to make him pay for that side because I do think this team is less equipped to handle, obviously, the Bucks on the defensive side of the floor than they've been in the past. But I think their offense is significantly better than the offense we saw two years ago when the Celtics had to grind to seven games to beat them. So it's definitely a concern in terms of it. I do wonder, like, who do you think will be the guys they'll try on Giannis? And I want to ask you one more thing before I let you go about just the landscape of the league now. But who, who, who do you think they'll try on him? Do you think Tatum will get time on him? I mean, maybe it's, it, do, do we see like Jordan Walsh at some point? I mean, he's probably too thin. I mean, might as well try it out, see what he does. Not in the playoffs, but before then, at least experience. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, obviously, uh, when you're guarding Giannis Antetokounmpo, it's way more complex than we're going to stick this one dude on him. Like, there's so many different help coverages. They're sending two from different angles at different times all the time, but the key is, of course, to just like load up in transition. That's like the number one thing you have to do against the Milwaukee Bucks, and you will always have to do it so long as Giannis is there. Once you do that, like, you know, depending on where he has the ball and if he's facing up, is he on the wing versus the middle of the court near the nail? Like, can you send help to squeeze it from him and force a pass to Malik Beasley? Like, I don't even know who's going to be on the court with him. You know what I mean? Like, 
so it's like the Jalen thing was tough. Like they would just bring Jalen's man up and then like how you want to defend that. Are you going to go under these screens? Are you just going to give up the switch every single time? Um, I think that that's all really, it's tough. Like he's a two time MVP. He's one finals MVP. He's like a great player. Yeah. Um, the thing for me that like everyone's talking about like, uh, like Brooke, they have Brooke, they have Giannis, so their defense will be fine regardless. I actually like disagree with that. Like I think their defense is in mm. trouble. Um, Giannis is great. Giannis is going to be asked to do more on the defensive end than he has ever since he like was elevated to this level of a player aspiring to win championships. Brooke Lopez played more minutes last season than he has since twenty any year than he has since twenty sixteen. He played like twenty three hundred minutes, I think. Um, He's going to be 36 years old and they just gave him all this money on this two-year deal. His role remains huge. It's not the exact same thing as Al Horford. Like Brooke Lopez is their defense still until right. further notice. Like he's, he was second in defensive player of the year last year for a reason. And Chris Middleton, if you watch the footage, like on skates, um, against most teams last season when he came back. So if he's, I mean, that's like just a huge variable. If he's not who he was in 2019, 2020, 2021 on the defensive end, and he is who he was last year, they're kind of screwed, honestly. Yeah. Like Giannis and Brooke can't do everything. Neither guy is going to play 48 minutes a game. And it's like, we got Bobby Portis at the five and Dame Lillard on the court. Like, I'm sorry. No, you're getting cooked. Like that defense is just getting absolutely like destroyed. Pat Connett, like I'm so, like I'm so I just think like their defense. If you look at the personnel, it's they have two really good defenders. One of them's really old, could get hurt at any time. Like he's right. He didn't play all like basically all of two years ago with a back injury. Like I, I don't know. I I just I I'm not assume I'm not penciling this team in for like a top 10 defense i think they could easily be below league average they teetered towards below league average without brook last or two years ago when they had drew and milton was like there and healthy so i don't know i just think like the downgrade from drew on the defensive end to dame who is bad and will be hunted relentlessly is like it's like really detrimental I just think it'll infect your whole team in a lot of ways, or at least your, your team on the defensive end, and their identity might completely shift to we're going to have to outscore guys. Like I, I really do think that with this team, yeah. and maybe they can do that because I have all the respect, and um, I just think Dame is like the year he had last year was just like first team. I think he was on my first team All NBA as a guard or second team All NBA as a guard. Um, um, just amazing player like their offense when he was on the court last year with like pretty much scrubs was oh, an stupid. amazing offense yeah so maybe they're that's just their new identity and this is just a new era of milwaukee bucks basketball but i just don't think that they can lean on their this defense that they've leaned on for the last five seasons where it's like brooke lopez drop coverage were okay i really don't think that um it'll be interesting to see what they do they also have a new head coach so yeah like not a not an insignificant detail here. Yeah, I was just gonna bring that up. And a new coach in Adrian Griffin, who was just coaching in Toronto. And I know that, that Nick Nurse got a job in Philly too, but it's like 
we don't know if this guy can actually coach, first of all. And secondarily, like, what is his scheme going to be? And Toronto was a mess last year. Like, that was a mess of a team. Do we actually know that Adrian Griffin is going to be a good coach? And we had the same questions about Joe Mazzulla last year. Well, guess what? They went out and they got Charles Lee. And they went out and they got Sam Cassell to upgrade the assistants. And then the other component to this, I was just thinking about this as I was talking, like, Charles Lee comes over from Milwaukee. Drew Holiday comes over from Milwaukee. You got some trade secrets there, Peter. That's big. This is like the Heat and the Bucks have been like really legitimate rivals for the Celtics over the past. Like they've played the Bucks so often in the playoffs over like since Tatum's come into the NBA, going back to that crazy one, the seven game series when before Giannis was really even Giannis yet and Middleton was hitting like crazy shots. They've had a lot of going back to Kyrie. Remember when uh, Paul Pierce said after the Celtics took a one nothing lead? <laughs> that they figured him out, the series was over. So I'm looking forward to the rivalry as well. But I want to get you out on this before we let you go, Pina. So it does feel like to me, correct me if I'm wrong, this is basically, I mean, unless there's an injury or there's another crazy trade that happens, I can't see anybody but, and I may look like an idiot for saying this, but anybody but the Bucks or the Celtics coming out of the East as things sit right now. I mean, obviously, like I said, I mean, I'm covering myself for a catastrophic injury or a major trade. And then in the West... Is it still Denver and everybody else to you? Or do you think like Phoenix is a legitimate threat to them? Do you think they have legitimate competition? Not, I don't want to say competition, but a legitimate threat to actually dethrone them out there. First of all, uh, Wenyan Gabriel just signed a training camp deal with the Celtics. So breaking news here. So all the problems are solved with the front court. No need to deal with any stress there. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you generally. Um, Eastern Conference, Celtics, Bucks, like, I don't want to count out the Heat if yeah. Jimmy and Bam and Spo and, you know, they hit a million threes with guys who are undrafted. Yeah, that we've never heard of. Um, and Spolster's so good, man. Like, that guy, we've seen him outcoach. I think he outcoached teammate two years ago in that series. And he's even outcoached Brad Stevens before. And not to say, like, oh, he's even outcoached Brad. I mean, this guy's a two-time NBA champion and been to four NBA championships. But he outcoached Brad in the bubble, too. So, you, yeah, that's a good point. You got to factor in the Spolster part of it. Yeah, so I, I, I won't rule them out. I think they took a significant hit this week um, in a lot of ways in the short and long term. But I won't rule them out. Um. Yeah, like I just feel like the the East has like a really competent middle class, but everyone's got a ceiling that just doesn't even come close to Boston or Milwaukee. Um, the West is really interesting. Uh, I don't think it's Denver and everybody else. And I'm like, I know my my screen is blurred here, but I have like a Jokic poster over my shoulder. Like I'm <laughs> <laughs> I'm the guy's number one fan, but I just think uh, the loss of Bruce Brown. People are just like, well, we'll slide Christian Brown in and it'll be fine. Or, I mean, they lost Bruce Brown. They lost Jeff Green. Um, those were really important contributors to them um, in the playoffs. And, like, I don't know. I, I like the Clippers. The Clippers could still get Malcolm Brogdon. I would expect them to um, from the, the Blazers. Uh, I really like the Suns now. Hmm. Um, I just... They don't have a point guard. I like don't care. Like they have a, their big three is the most talented big three in their conference easily. Um, and having them go through an entire training camp um, with now they have depth pieces. They have three point shooting. 
They're not a perfect roster, but they're by far the most talented roster in that conference. Um, I mean, it's just like a bloodbath in the West, to be honest with you. And I feel like whoever is healthy, like if the Minnesota Timberwolves are, I'm not saying they can win the title, but if the Minnesota Timberwolves are healthy throughout the regular season, they could easily be what the Kings were last year. If the Thunder are healthy throughout the regular season, they could win 48, 49 games. Wouldn't shock me. Um, everyone's trying to win. We haven't even said the Lakers. I'm personally not really high on them, but they have LeBron and AD and Austin Reeves is pretty good. Um, and who am I missing? I know I'm missing. Oh, the Golden State Warriors. Like, yeah, still got to factor in Steph. <laughs> there, I mean, Draymond Green's. Honestly, when I'm talking about health, like Draymond Green, this this uh, sprained ankle injury, four to out four to six weeks, like. If you if that impacts you, their defense was terrible last year without Draymond. Yeah. Like if that impacts you from the jump and you start 0 and 3, 0 and 4, however many games he misses, you start 2 and 5. Like I think the standings are going to be super competitive in the West. Like the Pelicans are healthy, the Grizzlies could have the best defense and Ja Morant's suspension could actually be like a good thing for them for the first 25 games. Like they could be an absolute bear, no pun intended. I totally so, forgot about the Grizzlies. Like, yeah, they don't were so good last them. year before the Morant stuff. Don't sleep on them. Like, and shout out to Marcus Smart. Like, he's going to be really motivated <laughs> this season. He's going to be ripping people's heads off. Um, so, yeah, I the the West is crazy. And I said this: the Kings, the Kings are still the Kings. Like, they didn't really go anywhere. They actually added some pieces and basically kept it all together. So, a lot of really good teams. Um, Luca, Kyrie, Grant Williams, new big three in Dallas. Um, yeah, you know, just a lot of competitive teams trying to win. The only team that's trying to lose is the San Antonio Spurs, and they have freaking Victor Wembanyama on their roster. Like, it's just, it's wild. Yeah, I'm glad Grant got his money in Dallas, but, I mean, his defensive value is going to be wasted there because they're going to be so bad. There's going to be nothing he can do about it, right? Like, he should he should still be on the Celtics. All right, that is Michael Pina from The Ringer, The Ringer NBA show, The Answer as well. Pina, thank you so much for the time, man. Really appreciate it. And you got an article going up tonight or tomorrow on this trade? It'll be uh, tomorrow morning. Awesome. All right, Pina, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate you. Snap into action this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. And I'm looking at a same-game parlay for this Seahawks-Giants game, and this is for plus 238. Seahawks to cover the first half spread, one and a half. Geno Smith for 200 passing yards. DK Metcalf for 40 receiving yards. And Kenneth Walker for 50 receiving yards. So that's for plus 238. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. And FanDuel is now live in Kentucky. Download the app now and take advantage of their great special offers, boosts, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash Pike and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Welcome back into Off the Pike, recording this part of the pod, of course, after the Patriots fall to the Dallas Cowboys, 38-3, the worst loss of the Bill Belichick era. Joining us now to break it down, it is three-time Super Bowl champ James White. 
James, you know, I started the day, I was very happy. The Celtics traded for Drew Holiday. I talked about that for a while. Still very enthusiastic about that. So I guess that's making me less upset than I am. But man, I can't remember a Patriots loss that was this bad, just this deflating, ugly one. And now going forward, real questions with the team as they sit at one and three to start this season. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of questions in the air for sure. Obviously, definitely not the performance. You know, everybody was anticipating. Uh, obviously, biggest loss in the Bill Belichick era. I mean, the last time we got beat like that, I think that was my my rookie year. We lost to Kansas City. It was like 42-14. So, I mean, it happens. I mean, fortunately enough for us, it hasn't happened that much in recent history. So, you know, fans and the team have been fortunate when it comes to that. But it's never, never a good feeling as a player, coach, fan, when you're just – just when nothing's going right on either side of the football, offensively they really struggle aside from the first drive. So it was it was a rough day out there. They played a good defense, but I mean, it was more of themselves than the, the Dallas defense today. And like I said they're that the defense played okay. I mean, I don't think they played terrible. Obviously, like we spotted them basically like 18 points on offense. So yeah, a lot of that falls on the offense. So, but it's it's hard. I mean, defense being on the field the entire game, offense can't can't move the football, turn it over. It was there's a lot of problems out there. Yeah, and we've been talking about offensive issues, James, for the past few years now. And Bill, after the game, was asked if Mac was if he thought that Mac be the starter going forward. That he did say yes. He said I didn't think there was any point in keeping him out there at that point. So. I don't think he wanted to commit to Mac right away as the starter, but he did say yes because he kept being pressed about it. But Mac's performance today, you really felt like year three, he was going to take a jump, right? A, sort of a leap forward. And I felt like at times in the first couple of games of the season in Philly, he certainly had his moments. He had his moments in the Miami game as well. But overall, the performance for Mac this season has not been great. And I think today was a real issue, right? I mean, I, I go back to some of the plays in this game that he made where First of all, the quarterback sneak, I would say that maybe on third and one, like that's the reason you got Zeke here. The guy had 18 first downs (laughs) on third and short last year, which is tied for the most of the NFL. And then you look at after that, he had the fumble where I don't know if he felt like he just was going to have enough time because he was he was already pressured and then he fumbles the football. It's like you either got to run or just like get rid of the ball at that point in time. I don't know what how he thought that he was going to be able to buy more time at that point. And then. You think about the interceptions that he threw in this game, the one where he's basically throwing across the field, both of them, he's throwing the ball across the field. One goes for a pick six. He had other opportunities in this game, like where he threw like a fadeaway to Parker that was incomplete. I don't, I just don't know. Is he just trying to do too much? Is he not reading the defense correctly? Because right now, I mean, all those turnovers are on the quarterback, right? I mean, I know it's a team game and all that, but it felt like all three of those ones could have easily been avoided by Mac. Two, you're thrown across the field. And the fumble, it's one thing if you get like a sack fumble and right away you get hit, right? But this one was like, I don't know what he was doing. I don't know what he thought yeah. he was going to be able to do there. Yeah, that was the probably the roughest performance I've seen, you know, Mac have in his career so far. I think obviously last year he struggled a little bit, you know, whatever, new offensive coordinator, all that first time offensive coordinators, all that stuff. So I feel like this year, I feel like he's been pressing a little bit, trying to to prove like too much in a sense. I think he just has to go out there, let the game come to him, take the easy check downs, just get the ball out your hands. If there's nothing there, you know, kind of get the ball, you know, throw it away, whatever. So I feel like that's a that's a lost art with a lot of, you know, young quarterbacks, especially in football today in general, like, 
every single play is first down. Guys just holding on to the ball, holding on to the ball, holding on to the ball, trying to trying to make a play when you know it's first down. Just throw it away, second and ten. Okay. Like, you know, do do a better job on second down. So I think that's a huge thing that he has to, you know, keep in mind for him. So even if it's third down, it's you'd much rather just punt the football than you know, try and throw the ball all the way across the field. You got away with it once. You know, obviously it's not gonna it's not gonna work again against a defense like that. They say, Oh, you gotta throw the ball across the field to give me opportunity for an interception. And I feel like the pass rush was really getting to him today. Like they weren't necessarily getting hands on him like early, like two seconds after the snap, but they're like they're they're a defense that kind of rushes past the quarterback. They don't care. They're just trying to, you know, get that little bit of a presence on you. And I feel like that was really affecting him. There was times where he could have stepped up and made a throw or just stood in there a little bit longer and made a throw, but they got even close to him. He was kind of escaping the pocket or stepping up and, you know, trying to figure things out. So I feel like the pass rush really, you know, pressured him today. And I think that was the biggest issue for me. Obviously, I know coming into the game, they probably were talking about the pass rush, you know, all week long. So, you know, once they probably got close to him a few times and I feel like his time clock was was like going super, super fast. And after that, it's kind of hard to kind of get back in the rhythm after that. You start moving and escaping out of the pocket. He had, he even had like a couple other throws that could have been possibly intercepted. The one he was like almost out of bounds. He tried to, I don't know who he was throwing. I think it was Zeke coming across the field, which he wouldn't even got the first down anyway. The guy was like right on his hip. So he, and the J. Ron Curse almost had an interception. Oh, yeah. Which potentially could have been a pick six. You know, yeah, right, right there. That. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If he, if he doesn't jump, he just <laughs> runs through the football. So, for Mac, he just has to settle down. I mean, obviously, I think he'll still be the the starter going forward. He just has to settle down. Obviously, they're in a very tough you know position right now, but there's still a lot of football to be played. Just to settle things down, just protect the football. Like like you said, the the strip sack, getting pressured. Like that's one that's one of the things. Like you're getting pressured, like nobody's open. If, if you're gonna at that point, just run, just run it or throw it away. There's no no point in trying to you know trying to make a play. And you're making a bad play worse. I know Bill talks about that all the time, every single week. You don't want to make a bad play worse. There's nobody open. You're getting pressured. Live to fight another play. Don't try and make a hero play. Obviously, it ends up being a, a touchdown for the defense. And that was kind of really the turning point of the game after that. Then, you know, everything started started getting drops. Nobody was getting open. So it was a, definitely a rough day. It's hard to see, especially for somebody that, you know, you play with. But I, I know he's so much better than that. And like I say, he just had to find a way to, to get in the rhythm with the receivers and everything. I mean, I feel like even the receivers, I think they're a solid group, but I feel like they're not, you know, creating a lot of separation as well. So that is a part of the problem too. So he's looking, 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 and he's like trying to make a play. He's trying to, you know, create something when obviously if there's nothing there, I mean, there's, there's nothing there. There's not much you can do. Yeah, and you mentioned the line on when you had like a rare bad game yeah, where he yeah, had three penalties, <laughs> and we rarely see that happen. I wonder if part of that was – at times they were like lining Parsons up over the center. So I wonder yeah. if he was like, okay, I got to help out with Parsons. Like if that was part of the calculus <laughs> there, because everybody's obviously freaked out by one of the best defensive players in the NFL. But just circling back to Mac, I just, I wonder if it's, you mentioned like if he's thinking too much, if he's pressing too much, it just feels like for whatever reason, and I'm with you, I don't think the receiver group's been great at all, especially like Juju, you paid him big money to come over and he hasn't given them much. I mean, even the play, like he couldn't get to the sticks to yeah. pick up the first down when they needed to go yeah. for it after that. Like that's, that's something that we ordinarily see Patriots receivers like would be there to yeah. pick up the first down. Yeah, they're asinine about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like Bourne's had a couple of mo moments. I think Hunter Henry's been pretty solid this season from the tight end position. Parker's been 
okay. Mm -hmm. I thought Mac missed him for two opportunities today. Yeah, there's like a couple. Second. There's a couple. There's a couple under routes that, like, like I say, he's like feeling the pressure when I say it was third and five, whatever, third and seven, and he has you know three steps on you know Stefan, who's a, who's a pretty good corner. Just you know the pass rush is coming. Just get rid of it. Let him make a play. I mean, that's you're running. You know it's man to man coverage. That's why they're running the crosser in the first place. So you know that's a potential. Just get out of your hands. Let him make a play. Don't try and you know have to make a. 30-yard pass to have to feel like you have to do something. Get the ball to your playmaker's hands, especially man-to-man -man coverage. Yeah, so what is that? Because a couple of them, they're like fadeaways where, yeah. like, Devontae Parker is running across the field, and he's open, and he's almost got to stop and slow down to try to catch the football. So is that just is that just a confidence thing? Is that he's not reading the defense correctly? Because as you said, it's man-to-man -man coverage. Like, what's going on in that thought process there? Because it, like— Greg Olson, I give him credit. He was like bashing Mac on the yeah, broadcaster on this game. Like he doesn't, he did not hold back at all. And he was right about that point. It's like, whoa, like ordinarily, like sometimes Parker has been a target of Patriots fans because he doesn't get a lot of separation, but he had a lot of separation on that particular play yeah. for sure. On a couple of those under routes, but I'm sure like he has a progression to go through this other, I'm sure you're going high to low on those man to man routes. He's probably waiting for somebody to get open, you know, waiting, waiting, waiting. But look, you put you're facing a pass rush that can get there in you know a second or two seconds. You know you look, give the guy opportunity, may give him a second. Then hey, you feel you feel the pressure on you, just get it, get it to your check down, get on the under route. He can have a cut, catch and run situation. Like obviously the first time it didn't happen. I feel like later on in the game you kind of run a similar play. You should know at that point just to you know get it out your hands. So I say well, it was it was tough, man. Greg Olson was definitely you know getting after him a little bit. This. Definitely not going to be a fun tape to watch, you know, come tomorrow. And then obviously he knows the, all the errors you know, that he made today. And like I said, there's a lot of stuff to work on. You know, Gonzalez goes down, so you're, all your top corners are out. So it's yeah, it's it's getting hard for sure. Um, definitely got to get healthy on the defensive side of things. And offensive line definitely has to, you know, clean that up as well. Yeah, we'll get to the Gonzalez and the Judon thing, which is really concerning in a little bit here. But just in terms of, the offense in general, and we go back to last year, we thought, okay, you have Bill O'Brien, this is going to be an improvement. We haven't seen that. But with Mac, you go back to last year, three interceptions in the finale against Buffalo. So far this year, he has the four interceptions, including the two today against Dallas. So that's what? His last five games, he has seven interceptions. And I'm not saying that it's at this point yet, obviously, yeah. right? But we see how things are sort of going in New York right now. And I'm not comparing the players, obviously. Yeah. I think Mac is a superior player to Zach Wilson, but we see how they're having issues on the sidelines. They're having issues with the quarterback. It feels like if I was a defensive player in that locker room, I would not want to hear Robert Sala keep saying, that's my guy. And in Bill's defense, he didn't really say that today. He just said, yes, I think that he's good. Essentially, yes, he's going to be starting going forward. But what do you think he would, because obviously in the offseason or training camp, they weren't super high on Bailey Zappi to begin with, yeah. right? I mean, they put him out there where he could have been claimed. Now, I have an understand I would under think that the understanding is they probably thought that he wasn't going to get claimed, but still, yeah. they opened themselves up to that possibility. What do you think it would have to be for Bill to make a change? Is it another effort where Mac has a game like next week? It's another good defense. I know that the Saints don't have the most electric yeah, offense in the world, but they have a really good defense. defense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Dennis Allen over there like if he has another game like this, do you think that Bill would contemplate making a change and giving Zappi an opportunity or do you think that he's going to play this thing out with Mac yeah I think it definitely becomes a conversation if he performs the way he did you know today you know or just turns the ball over a few times that's something that like I said Bill Belichick preaches you know every single day every single meeting especially on the offensive side of things is create turnovers on defense 
and protect the football on offense. You have two, three turnovers, you know, a game on the offensive side, you're pretty much and if you know they're scoring touchdowns on defense, it's a high chance you're losing that football game. So I think it'll definitely become a conversation. I'm sure he'll probably have that conversation with Mac himself. Like, look, you know, like I'm gonna put you back out there. If you if you can't protect the football for us, then look, like we may have to, you know, make a make a change or go in a different direction at, you know, at that point in time and see if whatever Zap or somebody else, they, you know, try and make a trade. I don't know, whatever it may be. But yeah, but obviously if you're your quarterback's not protecting the football, it's, it's hard to keep putting them out there. But I know Mac is so much. He's so much better than that. Like we've we've seen it. Like obviously in his rookie year, you know, we've seen it in, in spurts you know, early in the year. He, you know, against the Eagles, against the Dolphins, you see, you saw the flashes. He just has to be more consistent with it. Like I said, he has to just think instead of making a play, just trying to force a play in a sense, just just protect the football, let it find another play. You have a good defense over there, they're gonna get you the ball back. So you're gonna have more opportunities. And I think a big part of that too is if Offensive line, the running backs can get going. That will, you know, alleviate, I feel like, a lot of the pressure off of him, especially when you're playing these really good pass rush teams. They're going to have to be able to run the football. Then he can get the play action in there. He can get those, you know, those easy throws where he can get the confidence. If you're, you've become one dimensional when they run the ball for like two yards to carry, yeah, two yards per carry today. So that's not a, that's not threatening whatsoever. That's you're playing right into the defense's hands, you know. You become a, a one-dimensional football team, and that's what a lot of these teams are built to do: is just rush the passer, put you in third and seven, and gear it up, run my exotic defense, put Michael Parsons over the center and the guard, and you know let them go to work. So they're playing right into you know what defenses want. I just think they just have to you know whatever find whatever their identity is on offense, whatever they want it to be. Like I said whether it's receivers create more separation, or you know Bill O'Brien doctoring up more. You know, more plays against certain coverages, whatever the defense is specialized in, you know, whatever it is. Maybe they don't have necessarily a guy uh, like a world beater at receiver. So they're going to have to, you know, do a little bit more, you know, scheming up to figure out how to, you know, get guys open and things of that nature. So it's there's a lot of stuff to, you know, obviously, especially on that film, there's a lot of stuff to, you know, kind of take in and break down and figure out. Yeah, I thought it was interesting this week. Mac at a press conference said that he was asked about play action. He said, I love chunk plays my whole career. I've kind of thrived in those play action and normal chunk plays. And I, I was like, I, I don't know if you should be saying that. Like, if you look at the numbers, Pro Football Focus has it at 14.8% of his dropbacks are via play action. That's 30th of 34 qualifiers. Now, he is completing 70. He's 15 to 20. It's not like a large number. 132.3 rating, which is third, which is pretty good. I felt like they... First couple of passes of the game, they had some sort of play fake on, but then it's tough to do like later on in the game because, yeah, you've dug yourself I, such a hole. I, I think that's the that's the issue too. Like aside from you know last week, they've been trailing, so yeah. if they if they find a way to play from ahead or you know playing a, a even tight football game, then it's easier to run the play action. The defense has to honor you know so much more. I mean, you're down 15, 16 points. I mean, like I said. That's what the defenses want. They do whatever they want at that point. They don't really care about play action. They'll play the play the run while rushing the passer. That's what a lot of those teams do, especially a team like the Cowboys. Like they, they just want to cause a bunch of disruption with their defensive front and allow the linebackers make the play if they don't make it, you know, in the backfield. So like I said there's a a lot of things to figure out. They just gotta figure out kind of what they feel they do best as an offense and get that done. But the receivers definitely receivers and like I said, receivers offensive line I feel like they really gotta get it going. Like I you see, like you see what you know Dre and what Zeke can do if there's holes there. We we know those guys are a talent. We see what the receivers can do if they do create separation, get the ball in their hands. There's plays to be made, but it's just very inconsistent. 
Yeah, and that's the interesting part too, because Bill O'Brien comes in and everybody's like celebrating because essentially it's not Matt Patricia, right? It wasn't that, hey, they got this genius. It was, hey, they're moving on from the Patricia experience, which we all know didn't go well for the Patriots. And I don't really blame Matt Patricia for that. He's never called plays. It didn't really make sense. But if you look at it this season, I was looking back to the 2020 team, Cam Newton's year. And if entering today, if you look at the numbers, points per drive this year, entering today, and it's obviously worse after today, they scored on one drive. (laughs) They were 27th in points per drive entering today, 1.38. If you go back to 2020, the Cam Newton year, it was... We were scoring a decent, man. (laughs) Yeah, you were scoring. And then the yards per play, the Cam Newton year, 5.3 yards per play, 23rd compared to 4.7 this year, which was 24th. You guys scored on 36.9% of drives. Not a great number, but 23rd. Entering today, the Patriots were scoring on 24.3% of drives, 30th. So it is a Mac problem, and we've been through it. The interceptions are bad. The fumble, I thought may have... Actually, I would say the fumble is probably the second worst one. I think the pick six is probably his worst turnover today. He was bad. And obviously, it all starts with the quarterback. And we're trying to figure out if he's going to be the guy here long term or not. And he's going to have to prove that over the next couple of weeks if he wants to keep his job. But the Bill O'Brien effect on this team, it I, I don't really know what they've gained out of that. Now, maybe some of it's personnel early on in the season. They're dealing with offensive line issues. They're still kind of juggling... <laughs> the offensive line, but I haven't really seen like what Bill O'Brien's imprint has been on this offense. Now, maybe as I said, it is personnel, but I haven't really seen like you look across the league and you can say, whoa, this guy's a really creative play call. This guy's a really <laughs> great play call. I just haven't seen that from Bill O'Brien. It's it's hard to tell at this point. Like I said, those first couple games like we kind of saw like throwing the ball down the football field, the receivers get behind the defense. Obviously, they were trailing in a lot of those games, so they're just kind of airing it out, probably taking a little bit more risk, but I I feel like we'll really see it when they can, you know, start a game fast and, you know, play from ahead. And he can really, you know, the offensive coordinator can really have any play at his disposal. He can really, you know, stick to his script, that type of thing. When you're, I said, when you're down, I said, you know, 16 points, 15 points, like you're, you're kind of off schedule a little bit. You just kind of, I mean, I'm not an offensive coordinator, but you just kind of, Pick pick whatever play from any different category. It's kind of yeah. a little a little bit different. So I feel like he's done a, a decent job so far. Like I said, I feel like the protection has been great, the run blocking has been great, separation has been great. So I mean, you can call any play you want. If a guy can't create create separation on the play, you know what I mean? That's true. It's, yeah, it, it makes you look bad, obviously, as the coordinator. But it's it's hard to say at this point. Well, Andy has to eliminate, as you were mentioning, like his play sheet. You got to eliminate basically three fourths of it in in the second quarter of the game. Oh, can't run any of this stuff. They're not going to be biting on any play action anymore. Let's just get rid of this. We'll try to go to just, hey, Mac, go in the shotgun and throw the football. But you mentioned the running game earlier. And this is something that I thought, like, coming into the season, you know what? Ramondre Stevenson and Ezekiel Elliott, this is going to be an awesome combo. They're going to be like running the ball like crazy. They could finish top five in the NFL and rushing yards between the two of them, like the the team rushing yards. And it just hasn't happened. Now, as we mentioned, a lot of that is you're falling behind. I thought Ramondre looked a little bit better today, but it does feel like, James, for whatever reason this season, he hasn't really looked like the same Ramondre Stevenson that we saw from last year. Like, He's not breaking the tackles that he was last year last year or creating after contact. Like I'm almost worried at times like maybe he is banged up because we know throughout training camp and whatnot, they were being careful with him, like how much he was practicing and whatnot. So I, w- I wonder if he is sort of like making his way back from something. No, I think he's fine. Like I said, I just feel like the holes aren't necessarily there. And then sometimes when that's not the case, you 
like you're trying to to make a play in a sense. So it, it's tough as a back when those holes aren't there, you know, pretty consistently. And there's just like a hole, you know, every 10, 15 times, you, whatever you touch the football. So they got to find a way to try and get them going in different ways, you know, like they did kind of last year's, you know, screens, line them up receiver, get receiver screens, that type of thing, you know, bubble, bubble screens, whatever it is, just to get the ball in those guys' hands and let them do work, get it to, you know, pop Douglas, get it to those guys as quickly as possible. If, you know, Mac is struggling to, you know, drop back and throw the football. The offensive line struggling, you know, to protect. Just get the ball out of his hands quick, get it to the playmakers and see what they can do that way. So I just feel like the offensive line is really – obviously those guys have been banged up, you know, these first, you know, four games or whatever it is. And when your offensive line is, is struggling to protect and run block, it's kind of hard to do anything. Um, like I said there's there's been spurts where they've done, you know, really well. And I thought even today they did a, a decent job. A lot of those times where Mac was kind of escaping the pocket, they weren't – they were like getting, they were kind of closing the pocket on them, but sometimes you just kind of have to stand in there. You got to take a hit, you know, take a, a, a arm to the helmet when they're trying to swipe the ball, whatever it is. You just got to stand in there and face it sometimes. Um, it's hard. I mean, your offensive line, they're, they're trying to fight for them. I said, I thought it was a decent, especially, I know Micah didn't really play too much today, but they, they did a decent job of holding up against those guys. I thought Mac just did a great job of feeling the pressure, stepping up, or when he had his opportunity to get outside of the pocket, just if you don't see anybody, you know, just kind of throw it away, that type of thing. So it's just everything is just kind of out of sync, in my opinion, as an offense. Yeah, I wish they could just play a normal game so they could try to sort yeah. of establish some sort of identity offensively because at yeah. this particular point, I just I don't know what they do well. Even if I go back to 2020, you guys ran the ball really well. Even if you yeah. didn't have the passing attack that yeah. you had in previous years with yeah. Brady, at least you knew had how, an we knew how we, we knew how we would win a football game. Yeah, <laughs> running the football like I and I I didn't really play that much that year. I mean, I I knew our identity would run the football. Kind of it was what it was. We figured that out probably you know halfway through the year. This is the way we we're gonna have to win football games. Right now they don't really they don't really know when you put yourself in a hole. You know every single week is it's hard to find a find an identity for yourself, and then it's just not gonna get much easier. Next week is gonna be another. Tough defense. They're always been a good, you know, run stopping defense. They have some good guys in the secondary. So, I mean, offensively they're struggling a little bit, but I mean, it's going to be a, another tough sled. And so they got to really get to the drawing board, kind of pick this up a little bit because obviously we see most of these teams is probably aside from the Jets in the division they can score a lot of points. Dol- Dolphins dropped seventy last week, and you know Bills what put like forty something on the Dolphins this week. So, in order to you know kind of escape this division, you're gonna have to probably score like. 35 points to, to beat one of those football teams. So, no, they yeah. did a good job against the Dolphins, you know, a couple of weeks ago. But we see how explosive those offenses can be. And our teams can hold their own, but you can't hold, you know, hold it forever. You know what I mean? You got to have to be able to make an explosive play at some point. I mean, at this point, I'd settle for two touchdowns in a game, yeah. the, way yeah. went, yeah. the, the way that it's went the past couple of games. All right, so – I wonder what, I, well, I kind of know how it's going to go, but Monday, I remember like famously Belichick like would tell Brady, like I can get the quarterback at Foxborough to throw that. Like when you know your quarterbacks <laughs> played as poorly as Mac has, right? Like that's pretty much as bad as you can play. Like his passer rating is worse than the last three passer ratings that Zach Wilson has had against the Patriots. Like that's how bad Mac's passer rating was today. Like, so I don't expect Bill to like, what he like, ease up on him will they try to help but like what's it gonna be because you know like he knows like he's got to feel like the confidence i know he tried to say the right things at his press conference but his confidence is going to be shot at some point like will bill try to manage that like because i'm sure when you're like you're yelling at tom brady it's like he's fine he can take it but do you have to be different like with 
Like, what's it? Just take us through this. Like, what's tomorrow going to be like? It's going to be hell for everybody. Is it going to be worse for Mac than everybody? I mean, on when you, I'm sure he's not going to have a good time. But what is going to what's it going to be like on Monday? I mean, I don't think it's going to be hell for anybody. I mean, like usually, I mean, obviously you have that type of game. Sometimes if it's in the middle of the season, you just kind of, I mean, you don't really scrap it, but you just kind of watch a few of the clips and you kind of, kind of move on. But right now, I feel like they really have to, you know, watch the tape and you know, figure out all these issues that they're that they're having. He, I don't think he's going to lay in the Mac. I mean, he's going to show – I'm sure he's going to show those clips in the team meeting. He's not going to, you know, be like, Mac, like, what the – are you doing? Like, th- that like that type of thing. He's going to be like, <laughs> he's like we can't – he's going to be like we, like, we can't do this. We're going to turn the ball over, let him score two touchdowns on defense. We're going to lose every football game that way. He's going to throw all the percentages, you know, like if they score on defense – I mean, you have uh, this percentage chance to win, and if you ha- don't turn the f- football over on offense, we have this percentage chance to win. He's going to really break it down. He's going to be like, look, like, if we want to – I mean, everything we want is still out in front of us. If, like, they, they had the whatever, the sweatshirts, like, there's nobody else coming into this locker room but the guys that are there. So they, they're going to have to figure it out. They're going to have to figure it out extremely quickly. And obviously they know they can't play the way they've been playing the first four games. It's off to – you know, a, not a great start, especially offensively. I thought defense, they've done, you know, a solid job so far this year. They just got to be able to help them out. And the the biggest thing is just protecting the football and just the decision-making. As, as Mac, as, you know, for everybody on the football team, it's not just him. Like I said, there's there's times where, you know, he's throwing the football and nobody's open, or there's times where, you know, guys drop the football, whatever it is. I just think everybody has to get on the same page. I think it's kind of – they'll kind of have probably like one of those state of the union, like meetings type of thing, like, look, like obviously the first the first quarter of the season, you know, is out of the way right now. You gotta you gotta turn the page. There's we obviously know there's so much that we could do better. You know, we need to do this better, we need to do this better, we need to do this better. We have to do that now. We can't wait. Like if we're, if we're gonna wait, you know, three more weeks to figure it out, you know, see it's probably a wrap for the season, especially in the division you know, that they're playing in and in the AFC with how, you know, some of these good football teams. I know some teams are still kind of struggling like the Bengals, man. I picked them to you know, be be my my favorite this year. They they can't get anything going. They look worse than they look worse than you know the Patriors did for the yeah. first few weeks. So that, that was a good pick though at the time. It's like yeah. I, I feel bad for Burrow. The guy can't move. Yeah. I'm afraid yeah. like everybody's talking about oh like the calf is connected to the Achilles. Could he tear his Achilles? I'm concerned that he's gonna hurt something else, like get yeah. a concussion or like yeah. when he gets hit, because he really can't move. And you can tell yeah. he's a totally different player right now. It's unfortunate. By the way, I'm sure that Bill in the meeting too He's not going to be happy about the two-point conversion, the fake on the PAT. Oh, yeah, that, that, that was, <laughs> they, they really, they're really trying to lay it on them. That, that, was, that was surprising to me. But, hey, I mean, that's what those <laughs> coaches do, man. They got it drawn up. They're going to run it. So <laughs> Yeah, that's I one of those did. things where it's like, hey, if you get if they give you this look, then this is going to be it's a It's like we're going to tee it up. It is what it is. They're putting it yeah. on tape just so, to make sure everybody else is in tune for it for the rest of the year. All right, so we did mention the defensive players. Christian Gonzalez, who has been legitimately one of the best corners in the NFL, goes down with a shoulder injury really early on. He couldn't come back in the game. We don't really have an update on him, just that it was a shoulder injury. But Ann Rappaport from the NFL Network reported that Matthew Judon is going to be evaluated for a biceps tendon injury. Sources say he's getting an MRI to determine the severity. Either way, he's expected to miss some time, which is just unfortunate, right? Like, so far this season, your two best defensive players have been Judon, and Christian Gonzalez. They have a lot of other good defensive players as well. But Judon's the best pass rusher on the team. I mean, you lose him, and it seems like he's going to be missing at least some time. A bicep injury if it requires surgery. And we don't know yet. He's going to get an MRI tomorrow, Monday, when he gets back to Foxborough. It just feels like, man, that he had such a great, great, really, run here the past two years for the Patriots. I mean, this would just be 
a killer for them not having Judon, and especially like we'll see what the Gonzalez update is, but they're already short in the secondary. Good. Yeah, didn't look good for sure. I mean, he tried to walk it off that type of thing, but you could you could tell as soon as he made the tackle, he reached you know kind of right for you know his whatever his shoulder bicep whatever it was, and he, he tried to whatever walk it off, but he couldn't. But both those guys are missing. You're already missing Jonathan Jones. You're missing like some of the best parts of your defense already. Obviously, like I said, it's not it's a bad turn of events for sure. Um, some other guys are gonna have to step up. I thought, you know, guys like you know Sean Wade stepped in there, Jalen Mills stepped in there today and did a a pretty decent job for themselves. You know, Miles kind of put in a tough situation having to guard a guy like CD Lamb. That's obviously a tough position for him to be in guarding that guy every single play. He's yeah. How does he have no yeah. help right after that? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, he's yeah, lined yeah. up man it's, coverage yeah. on C- the very next yeah, play. Yeah. How is that possible? <laughs> yeah, Jabril. I, I Jabril kind of like slapped his hands after. He scored or whatever. I don't know what coverage they ran, but you gotta you gotta help that guy out one on one in the slaughter outside, whatever it was. You gotta give him a little bit of help, especially in that situation. You know, after the top corner goes down at that point, he lined up one on one with their best receiver. You gotta 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 help me out over here, man. <laughs> Show him some love. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about that. All right, James. Before I let you go, it's been a lot of. I mean, it's a sad Patriots loss today as they got. Completely killed in Dallas, and it does suck losing to Jerry Jones in that group because it does feel like the two biggest owners right now in the league are Robert Kraft and Jerry Jones. Like, there's other groups, the Roonies, the Maras, et cetera, et cetera, but it does feel like those are the yeah, those two biggest two, those owners. Those two are the, yeah, they're, they're the yeah. ones. They're top yeah, dogs. they're the guys. So it, I'm sure Kraft isn't happy about this as well. But before I let you go, any thoughts on Drew Holiday? You like the move for the Celts? I, I like the move. I, I said they're, they're getting rid of a lot of their depth, though. That's, that's the only issue. Yeah. I feel like... You know, you get rid of Brockton, you get rid of Robert Williams, got rid of Smart. So, I mean, they're, they have a good six, good solid six players, I say, you know, including, you know, White, Derek White. So, as long as Porzingis stays healthy, I mean, they're, obviously they're going to be dangerous regardless, but, you know, Jalen Brown and Tatum. I love I love the Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday pickup, though, he's a he's kind of like a Marcus Smart in a sense, but I think to me better on offense, a little bit yeah. more efficient to my in my opinion, but they're two the good replacement for Marcus Smart because you're wondering who's gonna kind of fill that type of void. Yeah, I'm pumped, man. Derek White and Drew Holiday defensively. Yeah. Like you yeah. lost Smart, who was a great Celtic, but you bring in a guy like Drew Holiday, yeah. who's an NBA yeah. champion. And <laughs> yeah. if you're looking at like the two best guards over the past five to six years defensively, it's Drew Holiday and Marcus Smart. Marcus so Smart, you yeah. replace one. And I agree, <laughs> he's an upgrade offensively. So I'm pumped yeah. about it. At least there's something positive to take away from today, James. Yeah, look, they'll, they'll get better, hopefully, man. I, like I said, they got to have to turn around, you know, quickly. It's a tough position to be in. Like I said, a tough division. Um, there's, there's so much things that they can, you know, just help themselves do. Like I said, offensively, just don't turn the football over. You give yourself a better chance. Defense, they just have to get healthy and kind of continue what they've been doing. Like I said, just get as many stops as possible to give your your offense as many opportunities as possible to kind of figure things out. All right, that is three-time Super Bowl champ James White. James, thanks so much for the time tonight, man. We really appreciate it. Hopefully next week after the Saints, we'll be talking about a win. We haven't had a lot of those. We had one last week. We need another one. Yeah, we need one bad, real bad. (laughs) This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 
Hey, welcome to Ikea, where even this desk is circular. Huh, how so? Looks pretty rectangular to me. It's because we're always looking to repair, reuse, and we love our products, like buying back your Ikea items for store credit. Or shop our as-is section for great deals. You can even order free spare parts. Get on the circular path for a more sustainable future. Still a rectangle. Get started at ikea-usa.com slash circular. Visit ikea-usa.com slash circular for as-is information and buyback and resale terms and conditions. Spare parts not available for all products. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Great stuff there as always with James White. Tough game to talk about today. That was an absolutely brutal loss to the Patriots. We'll get a couple of your calls in a couple of seconds here on the Pats and that loss and Drew Holiday. And it's crazy. Like Drew Holiday, huge thing today for the Celtics. And then this loss to the Cowboys, just a stunning loss. Even if you thought the Cowboys were going to win the game, you didn't think it would be in this ugly of a fashion. That was flat out embarrassing. But no easy transition to this. I did want to mention Tim Wakefield, I'm sure. A lot of you have heard by now the brutal news that he passed away at the age of 57. And we, of course, talked about this on the Thursday pod. So unfortunate that Kurt Schilling put this out there on his podcast, because obviously Tim Wakefield, what we found out on Sunday as he passed away from brain cancer, is those are his last couple of days. And to have Kurt Schilling have a podcast where he's talking about this when clearly Tim Wakefield is in a really bad place, and he doesn't want that information out there. It looks even worse. Not that it ever looked good for Schilling, but it looks even worse right now. But I didn't have many interactions with Tim Wakefield, but everybody that's around him absolutely loved the guy. And I just feel like he had such a unique career where he threw one pitch, and he didn't even come up as a pitcher, right? He came up as a position player. And you start to think about it. Ian Brown had a great note today. Only Roger Clemens and Cy Young won more games for the Red Sox, which is amazing to me. Tim Wakefield won 200 games for the Boston Red Sox, and just 57 is just way too young. He was doing Nesson games this year and was a Nesson broadcaster this year. He's been around the Red Sox essentially since he retired. So it's just such an unfortunate day for the Red Sox and really Major League Baseball, the last day of the season that Tim Wakefield passes away at the age of 57. So obviously... Our thoughts are with Tim Wakefield, his family, and the Red Sox. Just a brutal day for the organization and Major League Baseball. Really unfortunate news that we got today with Tim Wakefield. All right, I do want to transition. As I said, no easy transition to this, but I do want to get to a couple of calls. That number is 617-396-7172. All right, who's up first? Hey, Brian. This is Ralph from Rapid City, California. We should have taken it as a bad sign after that Dolphins game when Matt Judon got to the podium and the first thing he said is we're not a bad football team because I don't know how many good football teams have to have their players get on the podium and talk about that they're a good football team. Um, but yeah, this team, they're not just bad. They're boring. And it just feels, you know, really like every post Tom Brady year. What is really the point with this team? You know, even if you were optimistic before the season, it was like, well, defense is good. Offense will be more competent. We can kind of grind it out, you know, make a wild card game. And I don't know how that's, again, you're not going to be a Super Bowl contender every year of your existence, but the fact that that's where the standard is at, it's just, uh, it's a real hard thing to, <laughs> to come to terms with as a Pats fan. And silver linings, I hope at least, you know, we know now Mac isn't it. And I hope at least ownership gets that, hey, you know what, this plan of let's grind out 13 to 10 wins like it's 2001 again, just isn't it. You have to win with dynamic offense in the NFL now. All the top teams have it. They have elite skill makers. They have elite quarterback play. And 
if this team isn't taking steps to add that to the team, then again, it's going to be another year next year. What's the point? So thanks, Brian. I appreciate the call. It's a lot of interesting stuff there. And in particular with Bill, because I really feel like you would have sound crazy or hot takey at any point up until really now to say like, hey, maybe it's time to legitimately think about moving on from Bill. But he's sub 500 since Tom Brady left the organization. And right now where things should be improving this year, it's actually getting worse for the Patriots, right? They're one and three. And I know they keep starting these seasons one and three, but it's actually getting worse. Like you thought, okay, maybe the fix is Bill O'Brien. Well, that hasn't been it. You think about the fact that they drafted a rookie quarterback a couple of years ago in Mac Jones, that looks like it's going in the opposite direction. And I do really wonder, like, and I talked about this with Bill the other day when the boss came on the pod, I talked to him about it. Like, I don't want to see Bill Belichick suck. And right now, this team is not well coached. I think we can all agree on that. It has not been a well coached team going back to the Philadelphia game to begin the season where he actually acknowledged that, yeah, I'd, I'd like to have that decision back, essentially, to paraphrase what he was saying. And just... The personnel stuff has been really bad lately as well. I mean, you think about, we talked about the Jacoby Myers situation, but I've never seen him do this where he moves on from a player, like I guess Brady would be the best example of this, but usually like when he moves on from a player, he has somebody in-house that he's ready to give that opportunity to, right? Like he moved on from Jacoby Myers and brought in Juju Smith-Schuster and Jacoby Myers has been the better player. Like ordinarily you wouldn't see a move like that, right? Like when he moves on from guys, he usually has somebody at least in the pipeline, right? Like you move on from Wes Welker. Well, you signed Danny Amendola, but you also have Julian Edelman that's coming down the pipe, right? Like I almost feel like if this Juju Smith-Schuster thing continues to go the way it's going, it could be deemed worse than the Mohamed Sanu trade because the Sanu thing is like, hey, we need help at receiver. We don't have it. With the Jacoby Myers thing, it's like, well, we actually have a good receiver on the team. Let's go after Juju Smith-Schuster. And then, so that really is hurt, Bill. The personnel stuff. This has not been a well-coached team over the past couple of years. And then the last thing I'll say is, Mac, I agree. And I know we were talking about this with James. He said, obviously, he's going to prove it in the next couple of weeks here, to paraphrase what James was saying. Like, you just can't keep turning the football over. All three of those turnovers are awful for Mac. And I feel like he's gotten worse as a player since he's come into the NFL. And, like, I'm not using the coaching as an excuse anymore as it pertains to the play calling. Like, all right. Bill O'Brien, I don't know exactly what he's doing. I don't know the big impact that he's having with the organization. But at some point, you're just going to realize, we talked about it earlier this week, maybe he's just not the guy. When trailing, Mac Jones entering today, 25 TDs, 21 interceptions. Make it 22. Make it 23 after today. 83.5 rating, 6.8 yards per attempt, completing 64.5% of his passes. Awful. Mac Jones entering play on Sunday. His ranks in the NFL, 6.0 yards per attempt, 28th, 64.8. Completion percentage, 19th. Passer rating, 87.7, 18th. He's just, he's a below average quarterback. And I'm even putting it nicely right now. He's played unequivocally. Like, this is not a hot take. Mac Jones has played like one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL this season. I don't think anybody that has watched Mac through the first four weeks of the season can argue to the contrary. It's like, who who has been worse than Mac? Desmond Ritter's been really bad. I'm not a big Howell guy, but he looked good today against Philadelphia. I know he had a horrible performance a couple of weeks ago, but how many guys have legitimately been worse than Mac Jones? Zach Wilson. Okay, so Zach Wilson, Desmond Ritter. Like, the list is really small when you're looking for quarterbacks that are worse than Mac Jones right now in the NFL. All right, who's up next? Hey, Brian. This is Ray from California again. Uh, so, yeah, I just turned off this Patriots-Cowboys game. Uh, the fourth quarter is about to start, but, yeah, this game's, already over and 
yeah, no other way to describe it other than what an abject disaster. Um, you know, just a disaster, really, not much else to say. Uh, not only did we get whooped, uh, we also potentially lost Christian Gonzalez and Matt Judon to injuries. So, yeah, I don't know. At, at this at this rate, I feel like the Patriots would just tear it down and try to tank and play for next season because I don't see this team going anywhere, uh, especially not with Mac as our quarterback. Um, you know, I was a supporter of Mac in the beginning, but at this point, uh, yeah, I don't think we're going to win anything with this guy. So I think it's best to move on. But yeah, that was my rant. I don't think it's crazy in terms of the tanking thing. Now, we all know that Bill Belichick will never tank, but when we're looking at all these, and I know you say, well, none of these quarterbacks are guarantees. Okay, well, you need to take another shot at a quarterback because it doesn't appear that Max that guy. But if you look at the schedule, how many gimmies do the Patriots have on there? They have the Saints next week that have a really good defense. The Raiders, I mean, you should beat the Raiders, but who the hell knows? I mean, McDaniels... It's one of the worst coaches in the NFL right now, but they do have Devontae Adams. If Christian Gonzalez is out for an extended period of time and you don't have Matthew Judon, you, oh, you wouldn't expect to have him in that game, even if you get the best case with the bicep injury. You have the Bills and you have the Dolphins. Commanders, that's a sparky team with a good defense. The Colts, I mean, you should beat the Colts. The Giants, the Chargers, the Steelers, the Chiefs, uh, the Broncos are not good, and then the Bills and the Jets. But this is the problem. Is this Patriots team... Even if you, like, they're not going to tank. It's not in Bill's ethos to tank. I think, like, hypothetically, it'd probably be the best thing for the organization if you could somehow get into the Caleb Williams sweepstakes. But I wouldn't be surprised, we, like, we start to look at this at the end of the season. I mean, what if Chicago just has the first two picks of the draft? Would you do something to move up to get a Drake May if that's the quarterback that you really like? Like, all these quarterbacks in college football, it feels like there's going to be a lot of them in the first round. We're talking about Sanders, and we're talking about Ewers could be in the first round. It's a deep crop of quarterbacks. And remember, Max year, obviously not all those guys worked out. <laughs> Maybe Trevor Lawrence turns out to be the only one that actually did work out in the NFL, right? Trey Lance is on the, on the Cowboys. Zach Wilson stinks. Justin Fields is not good. It may just be Trevor Lawrence is the starting quarterback, but you're going to have to take another shot on the quarterback. And I'm with you. It is sort of the Judon injury and the Gonzalez injury, those were just gut punches because that's the way you're going to win in this league or this is the way the Patriots are going to win this league. They're going to have to have elite level defense. And as we saw, even through the first two weeks, the defense has been really good for this team. They're still just one and two because the offense is just so bad. And I do wonder when the locker room starts to lose faith in Mac because the shit he was doing today, it's just fucking reckless. I mean, I don't know what he's doing. I mean, who does he think he is? It's as if he thinks he's one of these like elite level athletes at the quarterback position. The fumble was horrible. I don't know what he's thinking when he's doing this. And I just, I have no faith in the guy anymore. I really don't. I tried to back him and give him time and tried to, to support him because he's the starting quarterback of the Patriots. I don't see it. I, I don't see what the upside is. He hasn't even played like an average quarterback this year. Quite frankly, we haven't seen good quarterback play for Mac probably for two years now, going back to his rookie season. He's had moments. I don't even think he's really had moments this season, to be honest with you. And it was in his head today. I mean, we talked about it with James White, the fadeaway passes he's doing. I don't know what that is. Why does he think he can make those passes? And he's not seeing it. And that's something that if you're Mac, when you have a noodle for an arm, you have to be able to see it, right? You have to be able to process information quickly. So it doesn't seem like he's doing any of that right now. And it's just... Unfortunate, because I feel like we're four weeks, I know we're four weeks into the season, I don't feel like, but I feel like the season's over. 
and we're going to watch the rest of the year with no optimism whatsoever. I mean, that's not fun. That's that's not exciting. That sucks as a football fan. I know I sound spoiled because I grew up in the Brady era and we were basically as a fan base watching Tom Brady and the Patriots play in the AFC Championship every year and now it's like what are they doing? What are they playing for? They're actually they're actually putting a team together that they think could win in the NFL. You came into the season, and your receivers are Devontae Parker, Juju Smith-Schuster, Kendrick Bourne. You thought you were going to be a good team. Your offensive line is a mash unit. You thought this was going to be a good team. And your quarterback, by the way, is a noodle arm. I mean, it's just, oh, it's it's a really a depressing watch right now. It feels like, and maybe you disagree with this, but it feels like watching the Patriots, like this used to be something you looked forward to every week, right? At the time, we only had 16 games. Now we have 17, where you look, for it every weekend. Can't wait for Sunday. Patriots are playing. Cannot wait to see the Patriots play. And now it's like, yeah, I got red zone on too. I'll see what's going on with red zone. Let me check uh, how my bets are doing on FanDuel. And um, yeah, nope. There go the Patriots again. Oh, Mac threw another interception. Oh, Mac fumbled. Oh, the Patriots screwed up on special teams. It's just it's really unfortunate. The good news is they got Drew Holiday. The Celtics did, okay? That's the good news, people. All right, as always, make sure to get your voicemails in. 617-396-7172. Email your thoughts and questions to offthepike at gmail.com. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Strudy for producing this podcast, and we'll chat in a couple of days. Must be 21-plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXTSTEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700, or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1800gambler.net in West Virginia, or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.